This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we turn to God's word. Lord God, please give me clear words today. Words true to you, true to your word. Please give us open ears and open hearts to be shaped by your word for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. I must confess that I love information. I love collecting it. I love sharing it. Well, some of my students would say I love inflicting it on other people. (laughs) Or at least my kids say that. Did you know, for example, that the weight of all the ants on the earth is equivalent to the weights of all the humans? I don't know how they get their data. (laughs) I get mine on uselessfacts.net.au. And of course, it's an ever-varying thing. I think I might have put on a few kilos lately, so I don't know about the ants. Did you know that if all the females in a group of clownfish die, a male will change its gender in order to keep its group alive? Now, that's real gender fluidity, isn't it? (laughs) If you lift the kangaroo tail off the ground, the kangaroo can't hop. I don't know when you use that information, but... (laughs) Underground is the only word in the English language that begins with U-N-D and ends with U-N-D. And for those of you who, in essay... (laughs) For those of you in essay writing mode, did you know that banging your head against a wall burns 150 calories an hour? (laughs) Now... Fascinating though those facts certainly are, merely knowing that is not going to shape you as a person, nor is it going to prepare you for living for Christ and serving him in his world. When we look at the Proverbs, are we looking for facts like that, or are we looking for something different? We're starting a mini-series today on the book of Proverbs, and I've called it Living the Good Life. For Proverbs as a book is about how to live wisely and well, yet the book itself is often interpreted badly and unwisely. So I want to start today with where the book starts and see how that helps us to benefit from this down-to-earth book. The book itself explains what it is about and how it is to be read. And Reese has read to us from chapters 1, 1 to 7, where we see the purpose of the book in verses 2 to 6 and the motto of the book in verse 7. And I want to suggest that verse 2 is a key verse and the two halves of it speak about different purposes of the book. So I explained the first part of the verse, talks about the importance of character formation and the second part speaks about intellectual uh, ability or training. The first part of verse 2 is unpacked in verses 3 to 5 and the second part in verse 6. So that's where we're going in terms of the uh, prologue or purpose of the book. Well, verse 2 says that the Proverbs are for gaining or coming to know wisdom and instruction. And that sounds much more like an academic or head knowledge thing until we look a bit deeper. These words, wisdom and instruction, are words that 
A bit more down to earth in Hebrew. Ben, can I ask you about your grandmother? Did she ever go to theological college? But she's still an example of wisdom. She picked up wisdom somehow. And I think some of the people we thought of weren't necessarily the smartest, the brightest, those with PhDs, but they were wise in a deeper sense. And the word wisdom that's used here is used in practical down-to-earth ways in scripture. It's used of those who know how to make clothes and other objects that were used in the temple to do engraving, to build the temple, to shape metal, to trade shrewdly. They're practical down-to-earth things. They're, they're the kind of things that we associate with tradies, not with academics. Now we see there is an intellectual ability in this, but it is an applied skill. It's a practical skill of getting things done in daily life. And the word instruction isn't just about teaching, but it's more about discipline or shaping. An interesting use of this word is found in, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, verse 23. We'll look at it next week where the young man who succumbs to the adulteress is described as dying from the lack of discipline. Now he had the head knowledge or the instruction in that sense that adultery was deadly but he hadn't allowed it to shape his life and the need for discipline or shaping arises because that doesn't come naturally to us as people. We need to be corrected, shaped and trained as better people. Verse 3, in fact, outlines the nature of this instruction or discipline. It's receiving instruction or shaping in prudent behaviour. It's shaping in the way we live. And that's filled out in the rest of verse 3 by doing what is right and just and fair. We need to be shaped in order to live a life that is uh, uh, gracious and fair and equitable as we live in the world. It's a practical ability to be prepared to live well in the world. And verse 4 tells us that it is also to give prudence to the young or to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Prudence is an odd word. It's a, it sounds vaguely old-fashioned. It's a word in other versions that might be translated as shrewdness. It's a word used of the serpent in Genesis 3. It's not necessarily a good word. It can be and it can't be. But it talks about the ability to marshal what you have to get something done. When we talk about someone as clever or shrewd, it can be a backhanded compliment. We talk about the shrewd businessman and we mean he cuts corners. But someone who's a shrewd strategist who can achieve a goal. That's the kind of word that's being used here. So it depends very much on what this shrewdness is uh, attached to, aimed at. And to those who are simple, as we'll see in the book, it's uh, shrewdness in attaining wisdom, in being the kind of person that God wants us to be, in knowing how to live God's life in the world well. In the second part of verse 4, it's uh, seen to give us uh, the ability to prom uh, 
form practical plans. That's what the word discretion or uh, prudence can mean there. Verse 5 is a, a further encouragement for us to acquire this skill. Let the lies listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. The word is used in navigation, meaning the ability to steer your course successfully through life. So these features that are shaped there, although they might strike us at first reading as head knowledge characteristics, and so the book of Proverbs might be about shaping our thinking alone, are in fact about shaping our whole life, shaping who we are, what kind of people we are, or if you like, shaping our character. The book of Proverbs is not just meant to tickle our minds, but rather to sh shape who we are and how we live day by day. And yet there is an element of a trained mind as well, you'll be pleased to hear. For understanding words of insight, verse 2b says, and that's unpacked in verse 6, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Wisdom is meant to shape our thinking, to train our minds. Like the rest of scripture, Proverbs is useful for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness. But if you think that all that Proverbs will do will be to give you the ability and to drop into conversation some wise words that might impress people, then you've missed the shaping that the book of Proverbs is intended to have. It's meant to both train our minds, but also to shape our character. So the prologue of the book makes it very clear at the outset that both these things are in view. Training our mind, shaping our character, and that both will be important for living the good life. And then we come to verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If we want a trained mind, if we want a shaped character, this is where we must start. This is often described as a motto of the book and an almost identical saying in chapter 9 verse 10 brackets these opening nine chapters that are meant to be a reading guide for how we're to read the individual proverbs that come from chapter 10 onwards. Wisdom rightly understood can never be uh, separated from a proper attitude towards God. And so here's the starting point. If we want to be wise, a right relationship with the true God and a desire to be shaped by him. But perhaps that's not what you hear or what you think when you hear the phrase, the fear of the Lord. You think in terms of being afraid of God as you might be afraid of an abusive spouse or afraid of a bully. But the fear of the Lord means not the living in dread of God or being terrified by God, but respecting God as God, standing in awe of God, acknowledging that he is who he is and before him that needs to be acknowledged. We need to treat him with the respect that is due to him. And it's this underlying attitude of treating God as God that is the only true foundation for knowledge and living wisely as outlined in Proverbs. It's a necessary condition for successful living in the world. That's why you can't just dip into the book of Proverbs and pick out 
a proverb for the day. Because you need to start where the book starts to make sure not only will your character be shaped, not only will your mind be sharpened, but also that you'll start where the book starts with a right attitude towards God, treating him as who he is, respecting him as the one who made and owns the world. Now the concept of the fear of the Lord is clarified by noting the second half of verse 7. Those who fear the Lord are contrasted with fools. It's the first mention of fools in the book and they're those who reject or ignore the path of wisdom. They're described as despising wisdom or, and instruction. Do you notice they're the same words used back in verse 2 for gaining wisdom and instruction. That is, they refuse to be shaped in their characters in the way that God wants them to be. So at the outset of the book, the motto of verse 7 asserts there's a fundamental choice in life. Do you accept God's shaping of you, grounded, beginning at the fear of the Lord, or do you reject it? Do you build your life on respecting God as God, allowing him to change us as we want, or do we follow the way of folly, which regards such things as of little value? So our foundational stance, fearing the Lord, is of vital importance if we want and find the pathway to the good life. But how does the New Testament pick up this idea of the fear of the Lord? Is that only an Old Testament idea? Well, the phrase is still there, but most commonly I think it crystallises into an idea even more familiar with us, that is, have faith in Jesus. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the fear of the Lord is about acknowledging who God is, respecting him as God and responding appropriately to him. For us it involves acknowledging that God is perfectly revealed in Jesus and thus the appropriate response to who he is and what he's done is to trust Jesus as the foundation of our life and to keep on persevering in that faith. <laughs> as we live for him in daily life. Grounding your trust in Jesus, like the fear of the Lord, is a foundation of wisdom. And starting anywhere else, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, is like building the house of your life on the sand. But you might wonder why I'm talking about the fear of the Lord to theological students and to faculty. Surely, we've gone beyond that kindergarten stuff. Well, no, we haven't. We also need to take stock and to do so regularly to make sure that we're building on that foundation. That's why we've got to keep on preaching the gospel to Christians because we need to be reminded again and again that that's the basis of our relationship with God. And when it comes to the fear of the Lord and the possibility of people trying to pursue wisdom without the fear of the Lord, we're reminded that the archetypal figure of wisdom was Solomon. And if you go through to 1 Kings chapter 11, you see that his, his wisdom failed him when he separated it from the fear of the Lord and started promoting the worship of other gods. 
It's possible to retain the outward forms of wisdom without this foundation, but it is hollow and fruitless. One of the ways in which uh, Jesus picks this language up is uh, abiding in the vine, doesn't he? The importance of that inner relationship with him as being the core of true spiritual life. And the image of a vine bearing fruit is a great uh, analogy of, uh, for wisdom. If you're rooted in the fear of the Lord, a right attitude to God, you will bear fruit as you keep on pursuing what wisdom values. But friends, sometimes our lives as Christians don't look like fruit trees, but they're much more like Christmas trees. You know the difference? Christmas trees are often sparklier, more glittery. But the decorations are just tied on. There's no life in them. And the path of New Testament discipleship and the path of Old Testament wisdom says, no, genuine spiritual life must come from that relationship with God. It's got to start with the right foundation. And the longer we're a Christian the more we'll be tempted to just think, of course, I've answered that question. I've jumped through that hoop. And we need to come back again and again to make sure that our lives are actually based on the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is where we have to start. And while that is a once and for all choice, we have to make sure that we keep on choosing the way of life. If we had time, we could look through the rest of chapter 1 where... There is a, an encouragement to choose the way of wisdom rather than the way of folly. In verses 8 to 9 of the chapter, it talks about the, uh, the danger, the folly of avoiding bad companions or gangs and how that will lead to your own demise. And from verses 23 to 33, the great attractiveness of choosing, responding to wisdom. That's that ongoing choice in the rest of our life. For we need to not only start in the right place, but to keep on daily choosing to follow God. We have to work hard on who we are as followers of God. We have to work hard on being wise. We have to work hard on living the good life. It's a bit like a marriage relationship, isn't it? We don't just say, well, I've committed myself to be uh, really loving on our wedding day. And that's it for the rest of my life. I don't have to commit myself to be loving for the rest of my life. No, believe me, it's a daily decision to keep on being committed to your marriage partner, being committed to uh, caring for them, to uh, put their needs ahead of your own. The book of Proverbs gives us really two ways to do life, the way of wisdom and the way of folly. But the wrong way is a dead-end pathway. If we were to read on to chapter 2, we would see that uh, the theme of character is also developed there. So there are three things, I think, foundationally that chapters 1 to 9 want to make um, as a kind of a reading strategy for the book of uh, Proverbs are these. First of all, we've got to start in the right place with a right foundation of respecting God as God, the fear of the Lord. Secondly, 
We've got to make that ongoing choice of choosing wisdom day by day and rejecting folly. And thirdly, and we'll look more about this in two weeks' time, we have to have our character shaped by wisdom. Who we are is part of the purpose of the book we've seen in verses 2 to 6. But who we are needs to be shaped by wisdom. So there's three things. Start in the right place. Keep on choosing wisdom, rejecting folly, and having our character shaped by wisdom. Now, in a sense, that's not all that much different to how we think of it in New Testament terms, is it? We've got to start at the right place. The foundational uh, faith in Christ as one who's died for our sin and offers us new life. We've got to keep on choosing to live under the Lordship of Christ day by day. Christ as Saviour, Christ as Lord, and of course Christ will give his Spirit to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Proverbs is, in one sense, telling us nothing that we haven't learned from the Gospel message itself, but telling it in a different way about how to live wisely. So I want to ask us today to examine ourselves. If we want the good life, a life that makes sense, have we begun where we need to start building? Do we have the fear of the Lord respecting Jesus for who he is and for what he's done with us? Will we respond with ongoing faith and trust in Jesus? For unless we start there and keep on there, our life is flawed. We may be theologically trained. We might be people of godly character. But without that foundation, we will have sold ourselves short. We will not be suited to ministry and we will not be the people that God intends us to be. I start off by saying that I love information, and I do. But the Bible is much more concerned with transformation, changing us from the inside out. And that transformation will only happen through the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, and through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way to start. There's no better place to continue. Fear the Lord. Treat God for who he is. And make sure that that foundational choice shapes the choices we make day by day. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you offer us life in all its fullness. Please help us as we read your word, as we do our theological study, to make sure that we have a solid foundation in who you are and who you are in Christ. And please help us in our daily choices to choose the pathway of wisdom rather than the dead-end path of folly. For Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. As we stand and sing.